This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Open your Bibles with me. And we're going to be looking at a couple of verses, but open your Bibles to the book of Micah. Now that's where the pages stick together in your Bible. <laughs> Except unless you're in the daily reading program and you've been doing it for a few years, then okay. Have you ever had that? You get a new Bible and you're constantly trying to get the pages to unstick. Micah, okay. And so the title of my message today is What Does the Lord Require? What Does the Lord Require? And the subtitle is Living Righteously in an Unrighteous World. How do we live righteously in an unrighteous world? The world, the Bible teaches is the whole world lies in darkness. The whole world lies in darkness. We know that the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air is not God. The prince of this world is the devil. God is the Lord of the earth, but the prince of the world is the devil. When Adam and Eve fell... Our adversary took control of this earth. And he works through men and women who yield themselves to him. You can tell these people because they can do nothing without plotting some plan. Laying a snare, a net. They're constantly plotting evil against someone. Now if you're a believer and you're constantly thinking how to get back. How to get evil. How to do something to pay somebody back. How to, how to get them. You're part of the problem. Your God is not the God of heaven. Your God is the God of this world. And you need to renew the spirit of your mind. You need to get out of that. That's death. Hello? Somebody just just got a wake-up call there. They stay at night thinking how they can get back at that person. How I can, I'll get him. Maybe I can even get a witch doctor to do it for me. I don't care. No, that's how we think. That's how evil people think. But righteous people think differently. And how should we live? How should, what, what does the Lord require of us in tough times? What does the Lord require of us in evil situations? And I want to talk about that today. Now, before I do... I showed a video here, oh, maybe a year, year and a half ago, about cognitive dissonance. Do you remember that video? I want to show it again because I, I, some of you don't know what cognitive dissonance is. And you may get a little bit of cognitive, cognitive dissonance today. Some of you may already have. But I just told you that the devil is the god of this world. <laughs> really? When I told you that if you plot evil against somebody, that's wrong. <laughs> really? Yes, Really? And I know your mind can't get over that because, you know, that's how you've been trained or brought up. Or, or you thought, well, hey, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, in the Old Testament, maybe. But in the New Testament, God gave us a better way. And even in the Old Testament, that wasn't what, that, what you think it is. But uh, so you understand what cognitive dissonance is, let's just look at this real quick. Now, why do I show that to you? Because that's exactly what the devil does in our world. As the God of this world, 
he is constantly painting illusions, making you think that something is what it isn't, making us come to a place that we even doubt what is because when we got there, it wasn't what we thought it was. And the enemy knows how to play this game. It's what's known as the Hegelian dialect. Does anybody know what the Hegelian dialect is? All you social scientists, all you students of scientific socialism, you should know this. All of you that have been trained in the comrade system, we believe in the Hegelian dialect. That's exactly how the devil operates. Do you know what, do you know what it is? I need two volunteers. Quickly, two people run up here. Quickly, two people run up here. The emphasis is on quickly. I need one of you to stand right over here. And one to stand over on that side of the stage, okay? Now, who do you want to be the good guy and who do you want to be the bad guy? <laughs> Who's the good guy? Is it that obvious? Is it that obvious? <laughs> Actually, they're both good guys. Okay? But even the good guy can get deceived. Amen? So this guy over here, he represents absolute truth. Now, is there something called absolute truth? Well, in our day and age, we don't believe that. In our day and age, we have been taught relativism. So truth is relative to the situation we find ourselves in. Unfortunately, God doesn't see it that way. So there is absolute truth. But the more that we live in a society that redefines truth, redefines words, we're redefining words all the time. The word tolerance, for example, has been redefined. It means that I must accept and I must believe even something I don't believe nor do I accept. But if I don't, then I am intolerant. The truth is that tolerance, if you look it up in the Webster's Dictionary of 1918 or, or, or 1928, basically says that I, tolerance means that I can disagree wholeheartedly with your position but respect it enough to allow you to believe it even though I disagree with it. But I don't have to adapt myself to accept it or believe with it and I can be against it, but I'm tolerant of your stupidity. <laughs> but you see, today, if somebody says, I don't agree with your standard, or I don't agree with that, I don't believe that uh, sex is social, I don't believe that sex is determined by sociology, I believe it's determined by anatomy, oh, oh, all of a sudden that's hate speech. You're not tolerant. That's not hate speech. It's a belief. And I am tolerant. If you want to believe that, you can believe whatever you want to be. There's 31 different genders now. So, hey, pick one. <laughs> but we've gone from the, from the sublime to the ridiculous now. Do you follow what I'm saying? So, believe whatever you want to believe. But I'm going to stick with the truth. Because God stated, male and female, I created them. Finished. I think that's good enough for me. Now, can you tolerate me if I don't agree with you that you're whatever you are? But you see, here's how this works. The enemy has a plan. He takes 
absolute truth that is in alignment with honesty and purity and the virtues of God, the virtues of, of, of heaven, and he perverts it completely. And he goes as far as he can to pervert it. You know, have you ever noticed that the average person doesn't sleep with everybody? But Hollywood does. In fact, we make it a paradigm of virtue to, you know, you just sleep with everybody and you just, you know, sex is like a garment that you put on and take off. Drugs, lying is okay as long as you don't get caught. We paint politicians one way. We, I mean, how, how many of you know that there's some pictures being painted that are absolutely horrific? But how many, how, how many of you also know that the stronger those pictures are, the more desensitized you become? And so what the enemy does is he paints these terrible, no, no, stay over there. You're painting terrible pictures. <laughs> he paints these incredibly demonic terrible pictures, and then tries to create legislation, tries to create laws, tries to manipulate, dominate, control, intimidate for us to become like this. Or to influence through pop culture, or through, hey, it's cool, or this is the way it is, or hey, uh, you know, it's convenient, just it's all right. You know, it's going to be very convenient to put a chip in your hand, and then you don't have to have keys anymore. You just Chip, everything's chipped and you, oh, but, but, but maybe, maybe, I'm not saying it is, but maybe that might be the controlling mark of the beast as well. well what about that? Oh, but it was convenient for me. How far do we move? That's a good question. But that's exactly what the enemy does. The enemy works constantly to try to confuse you, to try to, 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 to give you pictures that aren't real, to try to anger you on either side of the spectrum or to try to show you something that you thought was true and now it wasn't and you try to something that you thought was a lie and it was the truth and 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 and, and he plays the manipulative games and and the more he can keep you in cognitive dissonance or the more he can help you to compromise what 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 the, what the hegelians call it is the dialectic is we get you to synthesize your position so let's say that this is where you, this is absolute truth, but, you know, all of a sudden you think, hey, you know what, I'm sure it wouldn't be too bad, you know. And it doesn't matter how far you move off of absolute truth, because wherever the enemy can get you to move to, even if it's just one step away from truth, did God say, did, did he really say Oh, but, but, you know, I, 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 what is the bleating of these sheep that I hear? But I thought, I thought I'd save the best ones for, uh, you thought, that's your problem. The truth is God told you to do one thing, but you thought, you were convinced, something moved you. But here's the problem. Where you move to becomes the new thesis. You never go back to the old. What's wrong with our laws on abortion today? 
We have very good laws in this country. We protect the right of the unborn child. But the newspapers are full today of bogus reports. 80,000 abortions took place last year in Zimbabwe, illegal abortions. How would you know? Where did you suck that number from? Well, infant mortality and, 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 and the mortality of the mother is, how do we know these things? But, you know, we pawn these things off as if they're the truth. It's cognitive dissonance. So the solution has to be abortion, right? Well, what about better health care delivery? What about adoption? What about some other things? Well, we don't have the debate. We, what we do is we drive an agenda. We have a law that says in Zimbabwe that if a woman is raped, that's what the law says, or if there's an imminent danger to her health or the health of the child, that the baby can be aborted. Now, I don't know any other conditions where you would want to abort the life of a baby. Oh, it's an inconvenience. It's an inconvenience. We didn't want to have a baby, so kill it. No, no. Listen, you should have thought of not wanting to have a baby before you had sex. But once you have sex, you need to take responsibility for the act. Now, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. We have lots of people that have had babies, and we've had a number of people that have had abortions. But the psychological effects, the emotional effects on both the man and the woman are terrible. But Jesus can redeem that. But, but, but now we want to pass a law that says have, have, have an abortion whenever you feel like it. And if we go the way of the Western world, it'll be have an abortion up to the last trimester. Or the 40th week, you can have an abortion as long as that baby hasn't come out of the womb. Guys, this is, this is synthesis. Moving away from absolutes, the absolute right to life. Not only of the mother, the right. Yes, she has a right over her body, but she also is carrying the body of someone else inside of her that has a right. And you must, as a mother, protect the rights of that unborn child. Zimbabweans have always done this. Zimbabweans, you've always done this. We don't abort our babies here. Only the modern world has got us to come to thinking that it's okay. They've got us to synthesize our position. Do you follow what I'm saying? And the more we synthesize, the easier it is to synthesize, to synthesize, to synthesize. Now, we'd probably never get to that. Because, I mean, that, we know that's ridiculous. <laughs> right? But did you ever think you'd get here? Did you ever think that some of the laws that we're seeing passed in our country would be passed? Are, are, did you ever think that some of the things that have been done in the name of righteousness would be done? I get shocked sometimes. We've been synthesized and we have an enemy and he uses people and he uses selfishness. Sometimes he uses our own weakness. 
I don't want to take responsibility, so I synthesize my position. How many of you are constantly synthesizing your position? You know what you did, but if you can lie about it, you feel like you got off the hook. Oh, I didn't, uh, you know, uh, yeah, uh, but, you know. Uh, uh. All right, so we accept that position. But guess what? You have to still live with your conscience. And you still have to live with the fact that you know what you did. And God calls us to righteousness. Amen? Didn't those guys do a great job? Give them a hand. So God, as believers, gives us a choice to determine our course. You determine the way in which you're going to walk. But he wants to be the source. You determine your course, but he wants to be your source. One version of the Bible says this. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. Another one says a man chooses his way, but the Lord directs his steps. If we will allow God to direct our steps, if we allow him to be our source, he'll lead us into righteousness. Any successes that we have either show God's grace and God's fruit in it, or the fruit will be something that is fleeting or passing or will be used for some kind of corrupt desire. And those things that are corrupt may look successful, but they don't remain. Only what God gives remains. And God wants us to have fruit and fruit that remains. All of our deeds will be judged when we go to heaven. They will be tested, and all of our deeds on earth are tested by fire. How many of you have ever had the fire come to something you've been working on? And you found out it was made out of wood, hay, and stubble. And all that's left is a barren ground. How many of you ever had the fire test you and you've come out on the other side and you say, gold, silver, and precious stones. Praise God. God has done a work in my life. From time to time, the fire comes. Every year, the fire comes in the felt here. The bush, the bush burns every year. I tell you, I think periodically the, your bush burns. He, he comes to see what you're made out of. Amen. Did you find Micah yet? <laughs> Micah chapter 6, in verse 8. My question was, what does the Lord require? Here's what he requires. Has he not shown you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Man, I'll tell you what. God doesn't make it hard. What does the Lord require of you but to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? With your God. I want to break that down a little bit this morning and then we're going to have communion. Uh, when we view our lives, especially in this current situation, uh, we have a tendency to look through the lens or the lenses of the immediate. We don't see the long term. We don't see the big picture sometimes. We just see, oh, what, what, what's happening in the now. And, and, and the enemy likes us to focus on the pain now and not the grace later. Uh, 
we're only able to see what we can see with our eyes. But I want you to understand something. God has made you and I to be a living spirit. He wants us not to only perceive with our natural eyes, but he says, I've given you spiritual senses as well, spiritual eyes, spiritual scent, smell, spiritual touch, spiritual insight. I don't know. I'm really trying to mature you as members of the body of Christ to understand that if you are constantly led by what you see, what you hear, the news, the, the opinions of men, you, you will be in, you, you'll be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But when you become a mature son of God, and that's what Zimbabwe needs, it means that what you've done is you begin to exercise yourself in righteousness. Exercise yourself in truth. Exercise your senses, your spiritual senses, to discern between good and evil, the Bible says, the book of Hebrews. You're beginning to learn that, wait a minute, not everything that glitters is gold. Not everything that somebody says is right. Not everything that a political party or faction stands for contains what I believe. Not everything that happens is just. Not everything that happens is unjust. See, you can have an unjust person do some very just things. So you can't just tar somebody. You, you've got to learn to be discerning and you've got to learn how to exercise yourself in righteousness. That's why I love that little video clip so much. Because it reminds me of my life. I see the picture. I know it. I, oh, yeah. I, I, oh, wait a minute. Oh, what? He blows that ball up and it fits in the cup. Then he comes up and he looks back at the chair and he walks up and picks up this little chair. Why? Ah, misdirect. Okay, I figured this one out. Then he walks back and picks up the cup and walks off the stage. That cup is bigger than him. And then he reaches over and pulls the picture off that I thought was on the wall. Nothing appears as it is in the natural. And natural men are constantly confused. You're constantly moved by every wind of doctrine. Spiritual men begin to discern spiritual things. And they manifest the spirit of God. God says that he wants us to begin to become the manifest sons and daughters of God. Zimbabwe needs this as a nation. Turn with me to Psalm. The book of Psalms. The first Psalm, Psalm 1. The Bible says, blessed. I'm going to read out of the Amplified. Blessed meaning happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable is the man who walks and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly. That is following their advice, their plans, and their purposes. See, God says, blessed is the man that doesn't follow the plans, the purposes, and the advice of the ungodly. Did you 
Did you know that if you're going to be blessed, you can't align yourself with ungodly counsel, ungodly people? Somewhere you have to expose ungodliness. That's why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Why? Because an unbeliever can only do one thing. An unbeliever can only sin. Because that's what sinners do. Sinners are bound in sin. The only chance that you and I have of not sinning is Jesus Christ who is sanctifying us and making us righteous and is cleaning us up and, 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 and we're cleaning ourselves up as we take responsibility and we say, no, 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 I'm going to walk according to the word, according to the law of God. I got two amens out of that. That's not bad. Okay. Then he says, not only is he happy and blessed and fortunate and because he doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor does he stand. That means he is no, he, he, he's not submissive and inactive in the path where sinners walk. Boy, I'll tell you, you know, that, that, that's a very powerful passage of Scripture. Because it says that standing is being submissive and inactive in the path where sinners walk. See, it's not the fact that we are where sinners are. We live in this world. I live among sinners. In fact, I love to get among sinners. I was with a few this weekend. But you see, I don't stand with them. I don't, I don't submit to them. I'm not part of what they're doing. I'm there to be a shining light. I'm there to be a voice that acts as salt and light and convicting power. Not in an ugly way. I'm not preaching at them. I'm just preaching at them. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I'm not telling them words. I'm just living the good life. They bring up a topic and I bring a point of view and they look at me like a bull at a new gate. Because they'd never heard the truth before. Really? I was with a guy, oh, he's the nicest guy. Nicest guy, lost but nice. Totally lost but nice. And I started just talking about principles and truth and Jesus and he, I was salty. I was salty. And he got real thirsty. We'll see him in church before long. We'll see him in the kingdom before long. But you know what? I'm not going to stand with him and pretend and walk with him and do what he does and condone it. I'm not going to be passive and submissive to sinful ways. I'm going to resist sinful. The Bible says expose their deeds of darkness. Expose them. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Expose them. Now, we don't have to be ugly about it. Be merciful. We're going to get back to that in a minute. Because what, what are you supposed to do? Do justly. See, it starts with you doing justly. What are you doing? Live a just life. Live justly. Love mercy. Hey, do you know what? The Bible says, blessed are the merciful for they'll obtain mercy. I learned a long time ago. Not to sit in the seat of that judgment, but be merciful to people. I see I, I, I'm a pastor. I deal with a lot of you. You do a lot of stupid things. Sheep. Oh, my gosh. You, you, you're never, ever, can, you can never be surprised because you never know what they're going to do. 
I think I've heard it all now. I think I've heard it all. I, I, think, I, don't, I, I, I don't think you can surprise me anymore. But you know, every so often it gets close. Like, what did that knucklehead do? But you know what? That's what sin does. Sin ruins us. And ours is to be merciful. Ours is to be merciful. Say, hey, brother, let me help you come to face yourself. Help you come to find relief. Let me help you find Christ. Let me help you find the kingdom. Because I know without the kingdom, there is no peace. I know without the king, there is no joy. That's our job. He says, nor does he sit down to relax and rest where the scornful and the mockers gather. Well, I want to encourage you as a church, I want to encourage you, if you get around people that are scornful or they're mockers, you, you know what a mocker is? You know what a scornful person is? It's somebody who can always find the fault, fault finders. It's somebody who takes those things that are sacred and makes fun of them. He takes people that are really doing good and he, and he mocks. Oh, yeah, I suppose that, you know, I've got a few mockers in the church. You know, I have one man, he, he, he doesn't come to church hardly, but he says he's part of the church. But, you know, he can't come here because he's an adulterer. I didn't say his name, but he commits adultery all the time. But he still wants to be a part of the church. He says every man is an adulterer, every one of them. He says, every man struggles the same way I do. I said, no, every man may struggle, but not every man commits adultery. You see, the fact is, we're all tempted in the same way. But he mocks. He mocks because he sits and thinks that every man is doing what he's doing. Did it get quiet in church? <laughs> is this good teaching or is it, or you say, oh, pastor, you're stepping on my, am I, am I stepping on any toes? Any cognitive dissonance this morning? But here's what the Bible says. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, that is the precepts, the instructions, and the teachings of God. He habitually meditates, he ponders and studies day by day and, and by, by day and by night. Man, he says, this is how you grow up. This is how you exercise yourself. Habitually study, habitually meditate, habitually read your Bible, habitually do what the law says. And guess what? There's blessing in that again. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in his law. The blessed man does that. And he shall be like a tree, firmly planted by the streams of water, ready to bring forth fruit in its season. Its leaf shall not fade or wither, and everything he does shall prosper. That is, come to maturity. See, prosperity isn't money. A lot of people get money, but it never comes to maturity. It never grows up. I've watched a lot of you get money and you never grew up. Money destroyed you. But the prosperity God talks about is 
a prosperity that matures, that stays around for a while, that you pass on to another generation, generational wealth, generational blessing, generational fortitude. Your kids watch you. They see that you're not one thing at home and another thing at church and another thing at business, another thing at the club, and another thing on the weekend. All of a sudden, you begin to meditate in the law. You begin to honor God, and He's cleaning up your small house, how your house. He, he does that, you know. He's not going to let you have a small house. I know you think you're getting away with it, but you know what? You'll either run away from God or you'll get it cleaned up. He's going to keep tapping on your shoulder. He's, he's long-suffering. But he gives you many chances to repent. Hello? Take responsibility. Meditate in my law. Don't walk in this way. Hello? 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 He says, but there is a time after being rebuked many times that you get crushed. And I'll tell you, it's easier for you to repent than it is for you to get crushed. You either fall on the rock and be broken or the rock falls on you and crushes you to powder. I would recommend, just from my experience as a pastor, I would recommend the former, not the latter. Amen? Just tap your neighbor and say, I think I'd like the former. I think I'd like to take responsibility rather than be crushed by the weight of this thing. Anybody listening to me? Oh, by the way, this not only works for individuals, it works for institutions like businesses. It works for institutions like churches. Oh, by the way, it works for institutions like governments. Don't think that God's not involved in the affairs of men. Hey, some of these guys that get away with wickedness, and you know they're wicked. You know, you know, how much they stole. It's, it's the worst, best-kept secret in the country. And then the newspaper comes out and says, so-and-so off the hook, and such-and-such not going to be prosecuted. And you say, what? What? Well, we're not going to prosecute all the money that was stolen. We're starting over. It's a new country. We'll start over. <laughs> what? What? Well, let me tell you something. There's a just judge. Don't get caught up in judgment. There's a way that God can deal with that. Don't worry. And their, their end will not be good. Listen to what the Bible says. It says right here continues in this verse of scripture, not so the wicked, those disobedient and living without God are not so, but they are like the chaff, that is they're worthless, dead, without substance, which is, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked, that is those who are disobedient and living without God, shall not stand justified in the, just, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, that is, those who are upright and in right standing with God. For the Lord knows and is fully acquainted with the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly, that is, those who live outside of God's will, shall perish, end in ruin, and come to naught. 
Now, I'm going to tell you something. That is either the absolute truth of God's word or it's a lie. When the Bible talks about being righteous, I'll tell you what, would all the righteous people stand up? Well, that's a trick question. <laughs> but if you're in Christ Jesus, you have been made righteous. I, I'm telling you today, I stand before you righteous. But not righteous in myself. Listen, I'm, I'm at best a sinner, and I still sin. Uh, everything I'm preaching about, I know I'm supposed to be the holy man from the north. Yeah. The, <laughs> I know I'm supposed to be perfect and, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, if you've had an encounter with Christ, if you've really had an encounter with Christ, you're perfect. But I've had a really encounter with Christ that's lasted me for more than 45 years. And I'm going to tell you something. I still fall short of the glory of God. And I hate it and I repent. But he's guiding me, he's leading me, and I hope I'm maturing even the Apostle Paul said this. He says, lest I preach to others and find myself to be a castaway. I don't want, I don't want to be a castaway. At the end of preaching to all of you, then find out that, you know, hey, I was like a Pharisee or a Sadducee. I put heavy weights on my people, but I wouldn't lift the finger. I was like, I think that was the daily reading, wasn't it? See how it comes out of you? If you get the word in you, it just comes out of you. I don't want to be a hypocrite. So your righteousness is in Christ. You've been made righteous. Hallelujah. Tell somebody, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. So I said earlier, the, the counsel of the ungodly will always lead to compromise. It's never about convictions. It's never about principles. But it's giving ourselves options to opt out. Uh, it's giving us that option for what is convenient or what is comfortable for us. Aye. Sometimes what is convenient or comfortable will destroy you. I was just in the bush. You know, a poacher doesn't put a snare in a thicket. He puts a snare on the path where the animals walk. Hmm. You know, the enemy is saying things to you like this. Well, you know, God really doesn't mean what he says. You know, that, 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 was, that was the Bible. That was back then. That was Old Testament. That was, that was, you know, that was in Jesus' time. But today we're modern. And God doesn't really mean that. that. That's an old book. No, it's the living word of God. This is not an old book. This is the most living book you'll ever read. And it'll convict you. And God does mean what he says. The devil says, oh, you really don't have to be serious about obeying the word of God. God understands. God knows he knows you really can't do what he asks you to do and that you can't really be what he asks you to be. So he accepts you just like you are. No, the truth is that wherever you're at today and however you got to church, that's how he accepts you. If you've never given your life to Christ today, he accepts you just like you are. He loves you. He brought you here so you can give your life to Christ. 
But once he has you, he then begins to help you clean your life up. He begins to, he not only does he redeem you, but he begins to restore you. Not only does he restore you, he begins to sanctify you. And whom he sanctifies, he just, who he justifies, he sanctifies. So he'll justify you, he'll sanctify you. He, he wants you to live a holy life. He's going he's, he's, he's gonna to grow you up. He's going to mature you. That's what prosperity is, maturity. Just tap your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you today. Can I just read a couple of passages of scripture and close? Actually, I want to do communion. So if the ushers will begin to get communion ready, we're going to close with communion today. But while they're getting it and passing it, just listen to these scriptures. You can read them. But I think this speaks to what I'm talking about. I think it speaks to you and I. You know, the Bible is so accurate. Book of Lamentations. You know, Jeremiah went through some terrible things. The governments of his day, the, the turmoil, the, 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 the loss of direction, the loss of life, the... the the corruption of the people. And, and, and he wrote this book of Lamentations. He was lamenting. He was crying. He's called the weeping prophet. And in chapter 3, verses 21 through 36, he says, This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. Oh, praise God for his mercies and his compassions. His mercies are new to you every morning. He says, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I put my hope in him. Well, I tell you what, I don't put my hope in any of the political parties. I put my hope in the Lord. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. To, and, and to the soul that seeks him. It is good that a man should both Hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke of his youth. He sitteth alone and keeps silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust. If so, there may be hope. He gives his cheek to him that smites him. He is filled full with reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief... Yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Well, I'll tell you what. This is my hope. That's why I want to be merciful because I need these mercies. For he doth not afflict willingly, nor does he grieve the children of men. He does not want to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth. To turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High. God says you have a right to come before the Most High. You have a right to obtain mercy. You have a right to find help. You have a right for God to intervene in your life. He says, but it's going to require something, that you love mercy, that you do justly, and that you walk humbly. You know, humility is a great gift right now. I hope that our politicians could find a little bit of humility, that they could recognize that none of them have a mandate that they 
have less than 50% of the vote, probably both of them. And that Zimbabwe is in a very tender place and a great deal of humility, a great deal of care should be taken at this time. Amen? But let's what? Guess what? It has to start with you and I. While you're receiving the elements, can I read you one more verse of scripture? Look at Isaiah chapter 59. Does this sound familiar? None, starting with verse 4, none calls for justice. God wants us to walk justly. Nor does any plead for truth. They trust in vanity. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and they bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dies. And that which is crushed beneath out into a viper. The eggs produce vipers. The webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity. And the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known. There is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. Whoever goeth therein shall not know peace. Therefore is judgment far from us. Neither doth justice overtake us. We wait for light, but behold, obscurity. For brightness, but we walk in darkness. We grope for a wall like a blind person. We grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the night. We are in a desolate place as dead men. We roar all like bears and we mourn sore like doves. We look for judgment, but there is none. For salvation, but it's far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, O God, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from the way of our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. And judgment is turned away backward and justice stands afar off. For truth has fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth fails. And he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. And the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no judgment. And he saw that there was no man. And he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him. And his righteousness, it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. And he was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repay. Fury to his adversaries. Recompense to his enemies. To the island he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. 
And the Redeemer shall come to Zimbabwe. And unto them that turn from transgression, says the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, nor out of the mouth of your seed, nor out of the mouth of your seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. Folks, I'm encouraging you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. That you make covenant today. As we have communion, you make a covenant with God today that says, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to come back. I'm going to restore my heart. I'm going to be restored today. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk with my family. Your words will be in my mouth. Your words will be in my son's and daughter's mouth and in their son's and daughter's mouth. And we will redeem our nation one person one family, one clan, one extended family at a time. Folks, I'll tell you, if you'll do this, I promise you, your best days are yet ahead. And even though the world is dark, God is not slack. God is not, his arm is not short to save. He'll save us. He'll save you. He'll start by saving your family. And in the midst of darkness, he'll bless you. In the midst of trouble, he'll raise you up. In the midst of hard times, he'll take that which is even meant for evil and turn it for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.